With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then, there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So, the newly bulked up, bomb-hitting Bryson finally got that much-hyped win at the Rocket Mortgage Classic last week. And we move on to two weeks at Jack's Place. Hi, I'm Diane Knox, and this is The Secret Golf Podcast. So today, well, we're going to talk about that, obviously, um, Bryson's performance last week in Detroit. And, well, there'd been so much talk about Bryson since the restart of the PGA Tour that that win was just like the cherry on top of the Sunday, wasn't it? Talking to Elk about that, um, the John Deere was supposed to be happening this week on the original PGA Tour schedule, but it's been replaced by the Workday Charity Open. And it's held at Muirfield Village, the home of the Memorial Tournament, which is happening next week. I'm really excited to see the same course for two weeks. However, as Elk will tell you very soon, a little bit of a different setup. We talk about what they're going to do to make it different and also to get that scoring up. These cuts at four and five under, man. I don't really know who likes that the most. But um, yeah, I think it'll be a little bit different this week. Later on, I'm going to be talking to Ryan Ballinger from Golf News Net um, just to talk about no fans at tournaments, that going forward, how it's going to affect some of the other tours and the announcement of the postponement of the Ryder Cup and as a result, the President's Cup. So, so much to talk about today and we'll preview the Workday Charity Open this week. But to kick us off, well, my regular Zoom with Steve Elkington and the video will be online. I'll put the link on our Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. So Elk, um, new week on the PGA Tour, a new event, the Workday Charity Open. And even though it's a new event, it's at a very familiar golf course. We have two weeks back-to-back at Jack's Place. Jack's Place. I love that. <laughs> I love that term. I don't think Jack's very happy right now that the scoring on the tour has been so low. And, um, and now they're going to play at his course and it's been very warm and hot up there. So I think... I spoke to uh, some of my friends on the PGA Tour, some of our players, and I spoke to some of our rules official friends, and 
It's very interesting, Diane, that two months ago, this this event that we're playing this week at Jack's Tournament was not even, it didn't even exist. It used to be the John Deere Classic. And now um, John Deere uh, could not play their event. Workday stepped in. Nicholas' company said, we're going to let them play at this course. And we all know that Jack is a traditionalist. He wants his tournament. Historically, it's been there. So I've heard they're going to play this tournament and make the course slightly different this week. So it's not the same as next week. Because next week is Memorial and it's an invitational. It's such an iconic tournament. And we'll talk about that more because Jason Duffner won it in 2017. But I was thinking that, like, how are they going to make the two different? Because they can't just have the same set up two weeks in a row. No, and, and of course, they don't want to use the same uh, pin placements both weeks. They want to save one so that they don't wear that out. And they want to have that. Look, Nicholas Jack deserves this sort of spot. And this young whippersnapper tournament came in, which we're very happy to have. Workday and all the tour players are happy to have it. But we want to, we want to make it look different. I think, the, I think the first thing that we're going to talk about in here is after Jack's tournament, they're going to blow up the course. They're going to blow up all 18 holes and you're going to redo the whole course. Wow. Yep. And number two, um, they're going to keep the greens slower this week. They're going to try to keep the greens running about 11 on the stamp meter because the greens at Memorial are quite slopey. Now, next week, let's say they get the greens to 13 and they dry it out, they take the water. Next week, they're, they're probably going to try to kill the golf course because it doesn't matter. The Monday after the Sunday, they're blowing it up anyway. Okay. So next week, we all have a chance to see something really, really like we haven't seen for a while, and that's a very hard and fast golf course. And that's what, J that's what Jack wants. Okay. And they will not cut the rough after Friday, I think. They're four, it's, four and a half, it's four inches right now. This grows a half more inch, I'll top it, and then it'll go all the way through Jack's tournament. It'll probably be five and a half inch rough next week. Because last week with um, the Rocket Mortgage in Detroit, and you had called it, you said it was going to be another super low cut. The cut was five under, low scoring again, and we can talk a little bit about Bryson DeChambeau in a while, but... Um, the rough was up at Detroit Golf Club. And it was actually, as a, a golf fan and as someone watching it on TV, it was good to see that because you knew that if the guys, especially around the greens, landed in that rough, it was going to be tough. Yeah, we saw we, we did see some balls bouncing into the rough, but we we were, we still were hit in the face with the, with the scoring at being 18, 17, 18, 19 under. So Bryson DeChambeau, of course, you know, he uh, put it all together last week. Mm -hmm and average 350-something yards off the tee, which is incredible. I'll tell you, nobody, Diane, is happy about uh, four undercuts, five undercuts. Jack Nicholas is not happy. The tour staff is not happy. The tour players are not happy. They've almost got to play mistake-free for two days. But I was told this week that the cut this week will be more like even par. How do I, how do I know that? How do, how do I know it's going to be even par? They said, so I said, I was talking last night, I said, well, how do I play terrible at, at uh, how do I play terrible at workday? What have I got to do wrong to miss the cut? And I was told that if you drive it in the rough at Muirfield, you're not going to be able to get it near the green. If you 
hit it further away from the pins at, at this tournament. They're slopey, so you're not gonna, you're just not going to be able to play well if you don't drive it any good at, at Memorial. The interesting thing that I hadn't thought about, Diane, is when the greens are a little slower this week, they're going to they're not they're literally not going to cut them as low as they will next week. Is they'll be able to use some pins that they've never used before at Memorial. In other words, some of these big slopes that we've never seen a pin because the greens were too fast. They'll be able to put pins with no tour players ever seen them before. So that'll be interesting. For example, um, one of the things at Muirfield is the path threes are really hard. And the first one, number four, is about 210 yards. And the green is tilted like this. Over to the right here, bunkers, X, history. They've also, um, during this time of the pandemic and we were off, they've also added some new tees at Jack's tournament. I was going to ask about Number 11, par five that we, yeah, it's way back and um, they won't be able to get on that green in two anymore. Number 15, it becomes such a um, short hole up over the hill. Now that tee is all the way back uh, across the creek, back up on the hill. So um, that's going to push the scoring back. You know, once you, look, I was told also by, uh, I talked to some of our players, they were saying, look, the way it is out there now, every player has a track man. They're on the range. They're all being influenced by long hitting, all looking for perfect, optimal launch angle. What does that mean? So as a tour player, what we're looking for is a golf ball will only stay in the air so long. And there's a certain amount of spin that has to stay on that ball to keep it in the air the longest. Not enough spin, it nosedives. Too much spin, like an amateur, it curves and stays up in the air. Well, what is that number? I'm going to tell you the number, but it doesn't mean anything to you, but it will in a minute. If you could get that golf ball to spin at 2,500 spin, 2,500, we're going to call that number, that's pretty close to being an optimal, it will stay in the air aerodynamically, it'll stay in there the longest. Now, if you had your driver and you were up around 3,000 spin, mm-hmm. you're going to be a short hitter. Too much friction. They don't want that. The number we're looking for is 10 or 11 degree launch. Uh-huh. They're, and they're working on their shaft. They're working on the weight of the club. They're working on their angle of attack, how much they're going to hit up on the ball with their swings. Optimal is probably two degrees from the inside, three degrees up on the ball. This is all measurable. This is what all the guys are working on. I need to write this down. All the players, Diane, are looking for that magical 10-degree launch, 2,500 spin, three-degree on up on the driver, two degrees from the inside. They're monitoring this all the time, working on their swings. Now, you could be lower spin, like uh-huh. Bryson DeChambeau. I read some of his stats, 1,800 spin. 2,000 spin, but you've got to have more speed. to hit. You've got to hit it harder if you want to keep it in the air at that speed. He's up there at 15-degree launch. So they're all balancing these numbers. And I was told by one of the great old caddies yesterday on tour that these guys, Diane, they don't care anymore because they're not playing the course the way it was designed. And, and right now, the tour player is winning. They're winning, or, the, or let, me, let me rephrase that. The equipment is winning. They're, over, they're chewing up these golf courses. They're all trying to launch it down there, 320 yards, and then they'll take their chances from there. Yeah. And right now, they're winning. So the equipment's winning. 
And I mean this in like the best way. I mean it as a compliment, but as like an old school golfer, how do you feel about that? Um, I still keep saying that the number one on the FedEx Cup is Webb Simpson, and he's he plays the golf like I do. He's the, one of the shortest hitters. So I said until one of these guys completely take over and and there's no room for Webb Simpson, mm-hmm. then I still believe that there's still a great spot out there for precision. Yeah. And Bryson DeChambeau, we can jump in on that quickly because he had made this transformation, which everyone's been talking about, and he's had all these top 10 finishes. And then we had talked about it the other week, that the win, we were just waiting for the win. It was almost like that was the final stamp of validation that everything he'd been doing was right for him. It's not going to be right for everyone, but it was right for him. And to get the win so soon, I mean, it's just, it's, it's almost like the perfect story for him. Yeah, and I think uh, last week was a great, great, obviously for Bryson. Look, he's got there's a lot of there's a lot of pieces that go in his puzzle, right? He's got single length clubs. Uh-huh. He's done all the work with the putter. He's done all the work with the driver. He's at five degree loft, fifteen degree launch at eighteen hundred spin with all that speed. So he's he's done all the math on the deal. And all these tour players are looking at Bryson. They're like what the hell? How does he get this much speed and how does he keep it up that high? And we, we broke it down. We broke it down how he, gets the, how he gets the power. I broke his swing down and people were very thankful because they could actually see what I was saying. There, there's, there's how he gathers it. There's how he thumps it. Here's all the mathematics that go with it. Um, it's going to be interesting, Diane, when you think ahead of the Masters coming up and you say, oh my God, how is Bryson's t-ball going to overlay at augusta and what's going what's that going to look like how exciting is that though to know that he's going to go out there and play a completely different game a completely different strategy around the most iconic golf course in the world no it's going to be exciting i think the only way to manage this is we're going to have to lean on our um tour rule staff to be able to get these courses firmer they have to get the greens firmer and they have to get some rust to penalize, I don't look. I'm all about putting rough all the way down the fairway, but I don't want to have tour players go over stuff and then it be all wide open. Yeah. I want the rough to keep going. So if I have to hit it into 30 yards back here, okay, I'll deal with that bunker that I can't get over. Uh-huh. I'm fine with Bryson going over the bunker. Tiger used to do it, but I want them to also have 30 yards. Now, what they can do to fix it is. If they have five inches of rough, which we're going to see next week at Memorial, let me tell you something. Jack Nicholas does not like people coming to his golf course and destroying it. He hates it. Not too many years ago, Diane, he had furrowed bunkers. Do you know what that is? They rake the bunkers with bunker rakes with big teeth, wide teeth, this, this, this far apart. So when you raked it, it left furrows. So when you hit into it, it nestled down into a furrow where you literally couldn't play out of it. Okay. So Jack is not very happy. Uh, I, I can't say that I haven't spoken to him, but I, I know he's, he's not looking for 20 under on his golf course. Uh-huh. And I know this, that he's blowing up the course on Monday morning after his tournament. So he is going to, they are going to take all, I know they're taking all the water off the golf course from Friday, next Friday. Uh-huh. So it is going to be baked out. He will literally 
kill the greens to keep the greens firm next week, which is great because he's going to blow it up. So it's not it's not a, a environmental disaster yeah. on Monday for the members. But next week, Diane, not looking ahead, but I think it's going to be interesting to see what Jack can counteract some of this distance at his own golf course. The the guy that created all the distance. So the with um you know obviously Memorial is Jack's baby. That's his tournament, but. Okay, so he's going to make that hard and we've already, you know, we've talked about that. But this new tournament, even though it's not his baby per se, it's still on his course and there's no way he's going to make it as easy as the tour has been as easy. You know what I mean? With the low scoring as it's been the past few weeks. So what we're going to see this week is going to be tougher than what we've seen since the restart. And then you can only imagine it's a precursor for what Memorial is going to look like. Well, he won't. Yes, you're right. So there is four and a half inch rough this week and the greens are slower. However, there'll be able to set pins in places the tour players have never seen them before. One thing about, um, you you'll, may find this surprising, Diane, that when we go back to places like Memorial or Augusta or places we played a lot of, would you believe that we memorize almost every putt? Like we know, like if you told me the pin was back left on number one on eight on number one at at Jack's tournament, and I was ten feet to the right, I could tell you right now, sitting here, that it's two two balls out on the right side. Okay, I know the break. But when you put tour players on new pieces of the green that they don't know, they have to read them completely different. It will bump the scores up a little bit. Okay, mm-hmm. they won't be able to use every new tee because that would be unfair to Jack's event. Yes. So they're going to do a little bit of a mix and match um, this week. They're going to test out a couple of the new tees. But next week we'll see the maxed out. We have 10 of our guys in the field. And just talking about the new pin positions and getting used to it, I just want to touch on um, Chris Stroud because we were going to do like a Zoom with him this week, but we're going to do it next week instead because he took two days off, went home. He was only getting to the course today. He said he was going to land at like 10 a.m. He was going to go out and play all 18 and then get underway tomorrow. But with new pin positions, is that an advisable tactic? Well, nobody knows where they're going to be. They can only guess. So um, Muirfield is um, up in the north. It's The grass is different. It's bent grass up there. So they can get the grass very slippery. It's not very, like we've been playing down here where the grass is very coarse, like uh, Colonial and Hilton Head, Bermuda, Bermuda grass. The grass up there is very slippery. So it's when you get down in that rough, uh, in it's it's real thick. It's like hitting it, you know, you can't really the ball some some roughs, Diane, you hit and the ball explodes and you hit these eight irons from two hundred yards. Up there it's more like you'll hit an eight iron like fifty yards out of the rough because it's that na- nasty and it just wraps around the club. So um, you know, some weeks I can't speak for Chris, but he's probably uh, mentally taking a break this week and he knows how to play the, the golf course. So he just has to deal with those putts tomorrow. He's got two little girls. I'm sure he wanted to see them. He's going to be away for two weeks. So he said, you know what? I'm going to go home and um, do that. And then I've played some great weeks where you just show up and you're fresh. And uh, you just you learn a lot, Diane, um, real quick when you, when you new, when new pins, when you're watching the other players putt and so on. Yeah, so maybe in that sense, the guys that are out in the afternoon on Thursday are going to maybe be at a slight advantage because they're going to see how the course is playing for the early guys. 
Yeah, and I um, I was going through the golf course yesterday with a friend of mine, Mike Bester, who caddies for Kevin Strillman. And I said, well, what about number two? Number two is a really hard hole. It's like it's almost 500-yard par four, and it's got a creek all the way down the right side, and it's got a hump in the fairway. And it was back in the day, it was really hard to hit that fairway because if you missed it to the right, it would go down in the creek. He goes, well, he said, I was out walking the golf course yesterday, and guys are down there 100 yards from the green. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, oh, yeah. He said, they're bombing it down there, and it's running down the hill, and they've got a pitch shot into that green. Wow. So, so um, it's very hot up there this mm-hmm. week, 95 degrees and a lot of rough. But, you know, the interesting thing about the tour, Diane, is maybe we'll see Tiger Woods come back next week. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. I'm, I'm, we're really uh, appreciative of Workday stepping in and doing this tournament. Um, I think this week's going to be very interesting because we know what's coming next week, and this is going to be slightly different. The players may get a little shocked tomorrow when they see the golf course with all this rough. I love the idea of having back-to-back tournaments on one course. And the guys must love it too, because they're going to be in the same place for two weeks. They're not going to have to worry about traveling when it comes to Sunday night, Monday morning. They can stay in the same room for two weeks. I mean, I think right now with everything going on too, it just... um, it's got to be such a breath of fresh air for them to know that they have two weeks in one place. Yeah. And it seems like Diane, that the COVID testing, once these players get underway during the week, no one tests positive. It's like just the occasional guy that's coming in from out of, out of the bubble has done a little test. I haven't heard anyone test this week. So they've, they've got that under control. There's a, a Steve Rintoul who is uh, my life, I grew up together with Steve Rintoul. He's from Mollymook, Australia, and I'm from Wagga Wagga. We grew up playing high school golf together, known, known him since I was five. He was, uh, he's a rules official on the tour, has been for 20 years, played on the tour with me for about 15 years. He said to me last night, he goes, um, did you ever get on the green in two of, uh, on number seven at Muirfield? I said, in two? What are you, crazy? He goes, it's a par five. And he goes, I was out there today. He said, almost, I didn't see, I saw five groups come through. He said, every single person was going for the seventh green in two, about 580 yard par five. And I said, well, what are you going to do about that? And he goes, well, we're going to, we're going to take all the water off the greens and we're going to keep the rough up. But number eight, uh, number eight, Diane is a very tricky little par three plays down the hill at Muirfield. The green is like a jelly bean from front to back, very thin and deep bunkers on both sides. They push that tee back to now it's a 200 yard shot it used to be like a nine iron shot now 200 probably a five six seven somewhere in there for these guys but the jelly bean shaped green is very narrow so a little bit more rough a little bit firmer conditions new pin placements higher rough a couple of new tees on par fives and par threes i'll mix and match it's going to ink the score up i'm predicting one under even par cut this week for the workday, which is going to push everyone together. And when it comes back to Jason Duffner, who we know, and Jason would tell you that putting is his biggest problem, how could he win at Muirfield? When the scores go up and the scoring is not that low, guys that hit the ball great, they don't have to go 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 under. They can hang around. So putting the putting game is not as important as the iron game. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm excited for that this week. And the other thing that we should touch on is the fact that the original plan back in the day was that fans were going to be allowed 
at Memorial. Now, it was inevitable, of course, that the PGA Tour had to announce that there's still going to be no fans. How do you see that moving forward? Do you think we're going to have fans at tournaments for the rest of the year? I mean, just in the current state that we're in and everything that Jay Monaghan announced a few weeks ago, you were a, a big fan of that. But do you think that there's any realistic future for fans at golf tournaments this year? I do. I do. <clears throat> it, I think there'll be a little bit, I don't know if it'll be across the board, like every week we'll be fans, but I certainly think through the end of summer, we'll have fans back. When you think of the job that Jay Monaghan does with the tour, with the testing, I can only give you an example of that the baseball is going to try to come back. Yeah. And the baseball side of their testing, now they have more players, but they had 38, 38 people test. You know, their first go around, they had 38 people test positive right out of the gate. Well, we most we've ever had is like, I think, two in one week. So he's doing a good job there. Um, I do think kids are going to go back to school in the fall. And I think when kids go back to school, we'll be outside. We'll be doing our deal. My daughter, my daughter's the teacher and uh, Annie's uh, a school teacher, an art teacher. So she, she's preparing herself to go back to teach art. It'll be her first season. In, it'll be her first job in high school to teach art in September. Okay. So she's getting ready. So I'm using that as my model here in Texas, they're going back to school. And then we hope that that's September, which gives us two months before the Masters, and fingers crossed it's going to be held with fans. I hope they don't lock us out, Diane, because, I mean, it's important for us to be up there under the it's, umbrellas, it's sipping on so those important. iced teas. <laughs> it's the highlight of my year. <laughs> Mine too. And, uh, and Sam, for sure. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. We all do. It's always a great time. So fingers crossed. Right, Elk, thank you very much. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun for everyone to watch this weekend. I'm sure you're really excited just to see what they're going to do to make this course a little bit different. Yeah, I, I, I want everyone to take a look at some of these new pin placements that nobody will know anything about. Check out number four. Um, check out number eight. Nine will be different. Uh, Twelve, thirteen. 14. Some of these pins that are going to be up on these slopes are going to be really interesting and the guys are going to miss in this most terrible position. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I can't wait. So also on the podcast, always good to catch up with this guy. Just um, with so much happening in the world of golf, I feel like we say that every single time, but especially right now, some bigger announcements coming out over the past couple of days. It's Ryan Ballinger from Golf News Net. How are you doing? I'm good, Diane. How are you? Yeah, great. Thank you. Good. Busy. Um, I feel like this is just a busy time for everyone working in golf, which um, we're very fortunate to be experiencing because so many people are still in a, a, a bit of a, a weird situation when it comes to employment. Yeah, I, I kind of have. I mean, I, I tell people all the time pre-COVID, this is a great job and there are things you dislike about every job, no matter how great it is. But it, it does feel pretty fortunate right now that golf is back at a professional level and then stuff's happening so that there's not I mean whether you work in sports or other things that's uh, good to have action without a doubt so well first thing I wanted to talk to you about was the the no fans we've seen it now for a couple of weeks and we've heard from the players I've talked to some of them when I was at the Travelers Championship a few weeks ago in Hartford so 
the new normal is this phrase that keeps getting banded about, but it is very true. The PGA Tour had said at the very beginning when they announced the schedule going forward that Muirfield where Memorial was going to be the first tournament with fans. We all kind of knew a few weeks ago that it was not going to happen. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think the big thing that at least the, the big uh, eureka moment for me was what if Tiger plays <laughs> and 7,999 of the 8,000 people they let in follow him around all day. That would be a horrible look. It would look bad for golf, look bad for everybody. So I think they did the right thing and just deciding, you know what, we need to have this tournament more than we need to have fans. Let's do that. And then we can, we can worry about fans next year. For me, it was in Hartford when it, a few people had been tested positive, caddies and players, and Jay Monahan did the press conference. I thought there's absolutely no chance. Before, I thought there was a glimmer of hope, but that for me was a turning point where I thought everyone's getting excited about fans at Memorial, but it's just not going to work out that way. And I agree with you. I think the best decision. But going forward, do you see light at the end of the tunnel for spectators at PGA Tour events? Well, I know we won't have them until at least potentially Memphis, right? I mean, that's the first one that could have it back. And Tennessee is in poor shape right now in terms of COVID cases. Uh, they're one of those five or six states that are rocketing higher every day. Uh, so I can't imagine a, four weeks from now, they're going to all of a sudden be allowed to have fans there. So I think the soonest we can have it then is maybe um, the start of the playoffs. I, I guess you could have them in Greensboro, but North Carolina is going up. But Massachusetts has done a good job. And uh, the Northern Trust is in the Boston area this year uh, since they're now alternating with Boston and New York. So maybe there's some potential there. But again, it all comes back to if Tiger plays, how can you justify having fans knowing that almost all the fans want to be around Tiger? Mm -hmm. And you can't just tell one guy not to show up or tell Rory or Bryson, because I'm sure he'll draw a crowd. You can't tell them not to show up so we can have fans. So I think they have to either figure out a creative way to get fans on the golf course and kind of keep them stationary for a lot of the day, maybe assign them holes or uh, ticketing times where you can be there for a couple hours at a time or something. But um, the, the way that it stands right now, I don't see how they'll make it work, but I'm sure they could think of something that could do it. I just don't know if they're willing to go that far. I think they're probably brainstorming ways to do it. And I think they have been all along. But the thing that's different about uh, a golf tournament. So say, for example, if you've got the NBA returning and if they were going to have fans, they could, you know, block off two seats, you know, so have someone then two empty seats, then another person like that could right. work. But I just don't know how you can put in measures like that to control people on such an enormous piece of land. Yeah, I mean, a golf course is what, 200 acres. And in concept, yeah, you could put 8,000 people on 200 acres really easily. But how do you get them to stay in place and not move around in packs of hundreds when that would be a bad look? And I think you could assign people holes. You could have a lottery system for that or something. Um, you could create instead of having these uh, hospitality tents, you could have hospitality pods maybe where five or 10 people could be in it. I, I don't know how expensive that would be to do, but I think there are ways that they can do this. I, I think at the outset of this, the thought was, well, well why would we? Because this isn't going to last forever. And now it is, oh crap, this could last into the middle of 2021. How do we make this work 
And the initial thought was, all right, well, we'll just say no thanks to fans. But at a certain point, you, I mean, that affects the charitable contributions of the PGA Tour, uh, which is the whole point of their mission. So if they can't do that, um, they got to figure out a way to kind of make that plausible or to make it up on the charity side somehow. And, and like you said, I'm sure they're trying to think of ways to do it. And then they're going to have to at some point roll out a plan and try it and we'll see how it goes. And I think we'll, we'll have to know where the world is by then to know how many volunteers you're going to get to try that, uh, depending on the place that you do it and how many fans you allow to try it. That's the unique thing about golf and golf is unique for so many reasons, but when it comes to fan support, you're not going to stay in one place all day. If you're following a group, you want to see them hole after hole after hole. If you're, you know, just going there to socially enjoy yourself, then yeah, you might visit the par threes and the 18th, but very rarely would you sit in one place all day long. So it's just hard to, I guess, cattle people together and keep them in one place when it goes against really the whole ethos of supporting golf and being at a tournament. Yeah. And I don't know how you control thousands of people like that. I mean, in an arena, you have an assigned seat. You're not going to go take someone else's. So there's an incentive to kind of stick with it. But in golf, there are thousands of good seats on property. Mm -hmm. And so if you get stuck watching a group that's playing poorly, you don't have to stay there and watch people play suboptimal golf. You go somewhere else and go watch better golf or watch a different hole. You can't control that. You, there's no, no way you can control the movement of that many people with volunteers. It's just not going to happen. So they've got to find a way to allow people to either move around and have some sense of freedom uh, about being on the golf course and being a spectator, or you have to ask spectators to kind of take away what makes going to a golf tournament so interesting and being stationary for a lot of the day. And I, I don't know that there are lots of fans who want to do that outside of the majors. Financially, you mentioned the the charitable contributions for the PGA Tour, but financially, the PGA Tour is in a good position. If anything, purses are still going up. (laughs) But when it comes to other tours, like the European Tour and the LPGA Tour, I want to talk about because I, I saw a tweet of yours and it resonated with me, but they rely so much more on fans. What's it going to look like for them going forward? I think that's a scary proposition. Um, Neither the European Tour nor the LPGA Tour have enormous television contracts compared to the PGA Tour, at least. And and theirs is about to go up in a couple of years. But they just don't make enough money off of TV to sustain the tour just on TV revenue alone. It's just not possible, even though the LPGA has a very good TV contract uh, in the Korean audience. But that doesn't translate to the same kind of money you would get here in the United States. So for them, they need fans or they need a sponsor to step up and say, I don't care about having fans. I'm willing to pony the cost if you slap my name on this tournament or, or this stretch of tournaments. Uh, I mean, at least the European Tour has enough money in the bank to be able to bankroll five one million euro tournaments in the, in the UK swing with, with no fans. Uh, and they probably got some presenting sponsorships from the hosting resorts because a lot of them have hosted Ryder Cups or other things like that. But for the LPGA, they put all of their eggs into the Drive One Championship, which is supposed to be their launch tournament. The, the $1 million purse is what they're putting up. Um, I think for them moving forward, they're going to have to, and I talked with um, someone who's really close to the tour the other day about this, that they're going to have to come up with a way to basically cut purses maybe in half 
and say, all right, well, we're going to play for 1 million or $1.2 million per week for the rest of the year. But the sponsors can then get their activation twice or, uh, space it out or team up on things unless they can do this concept that I kind of mentioned of similar to what the UK swing is for the European tour where they say, okay, we need one big sponsor. Maybe CME group does it. Uh, I mean, they've been a tremendous sponsor of women's golf. Maybe they step up and say, okay, we will put our money on a series of tournaments held in one region or location or whatever uh, for five or six weeks. And it's, it's chances to play. It's chances to be seen and to make a living because for a lot of the LPGA players, they don't, they barely break even if that on a year on the LPGA beyond like 50th on the money list, you're, you're talking barely breaking even. So imagine what these players are going through, not being able to make much money the rest of the year and certainly no money in the last four and a half months. So that's, that's a big ask. I mean, you're asking someone who to chase their dreams by making no money and then go down a level to the Symmetra tour, same deal with one tenth the prize money of the LPGA, which is one fifth the PGA tour. So I don't know how, how strong women's professional golf will be coming out of this because I think a lot of players will have to, to reevaluate their situation and either decide to move on to a professional setting or find financial backers to keep their dream alive. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the ladies European tour, which is a further step down. And the good news for them is that it was announced yesterday that the the women's British open is going to go ahead. And then and the week before that is the women's Scottish open. So that's great for them that those events are going ahead. And it's great for the LPGA tour players in the U S that will travel over and, and have a bash at golf over in the UK. It's going to be interesting too, because the the European Union, if they, I mean, obviously with Brexit, this makes it plausible, but the European Union has basically said the United States is way too infectious of a country Uh to welcome you to the continent. So even if the Evian Championship wanted to go forward, they couldn't do it uh, because U.S. players would have to quarantine for 14 days. And that's what led to that cancellation. But now um, Brexit makes it possible to have the Scottish Open and the Women's British Open back to back. And that's great. That's good for the LET, too, because of the the coast uh, sanctioning. But again, same thing for the LET. Uh, they've lost a number of events this year, and I, I guess they'll try to reschedule some of them and, and see where that leaves them. But same deal. I mean, they, they don't really have crowds in the same way the, even the LPGA does. So maybe it's, it is possible for them to have those tournaments with $150,000, $250,000 purses and at least have some semblance of a season. Mm-hmm. Never in my life did I think I'd be talking about one of the benefits of Brexit. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I said that sentence aloud because yeah. I, I, I was thinking, oh, well, the European Union doesn't like doesn't want the United States uh, to have people travel there without a quarantine. And I thought, oh, wait, but they're not part of the European Union anymore. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That here we go. One of the only positives. 
I want to talk to you about this because it would just be silly not to. It's been the talk of the golf world for the past couple of weeks. But this brand new Bryson DeChambeau, the the cherry on the Sunday was last Sunday when he won the Rocket Mortgage Classic in Detroit. What do you think about all of this? And I'm talking about the physicalities of it, the bulked up Bryson, what he's been talking about when it comes to his diet, the actual game, some other comments he made about privacy. (laughs) What do you make of it all? I mean, there's never been anything like this in golf where you have someone intentionally gain 45 pounds to swing harder, basically out of their shoes every time and hope it works. But it is working. And he's 69 under par in his last four tournaments. That's pretty incredible. Uh, He tore apart three golf courses in Colonial and Harbortown and TPC River Highlands that really weren't designed for this concept. And then he goes to Detroit Golf Club, a place that's just enough longer. And even still, that wasn't a ballpark big enough to kind of hold him up. And he had to work his way around with intentional misses to set himself up with easy wedges. And I I think that's the thing that impresses me most, that he thought of this plan and he's executing it in ways that it shouldn't work. It it shouldn't work on some of these courses, but it does. And so when we get to major championship courses that are 74, 75, 7,700 yards long, it actually should be easier for him because he'll have more space, more room to execute his game plan. And it's all done through the air, which is also a brilliant thing to think of, that he didn't think, oh, I'm just going to hit a bunch of low bullets out there, 360. He's flying them 320. Mm -hmm. So he can take it over trees. He can take on those crazy angles on the shorter courses. On the longer courses, he can just blitz it as far straight as he wants, and it'll run out there for him. So it's it sounds insane, but it actually does work on pretty much every kind of course. And the longer the course gets, the better the strategy should work which is pretty optimal for the major championships. So it's hard not to imagine him just destroying Harding Park in a, in a month because it is a similar setup to Detroit Golf Club with lots of kind of dog legs he can fly over and just cut off so much of the course with the way that he plays. All he, I mean, I would typically say before this, well, yeah, he's, he can hit it as far as he wants, but he stinks at putting. But he was number one stroke scheme putting last week. So if he can continue to putt even reasonably well in the majors where the greens are faster and trickier and all that stuff, and he can get a little bit better with his wedges, which I think he can figure that out. Then it's just, it's like tiger. It's just not a fair fight. And you're going to need him to screw something up to have a a really good chance to beat him. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we could talk about Bryson. There's so much to, to go on about, but the general consensus is everyone seems to be a fan of it. And I mean, how can you not be? We're watching golf that we've never really seen that style of play before. And um, Elk said the same thing. He's like, I'm a big fan of it because he understands the the science behind it, I guess. Bryson and Elk being both fans of the golfing machine. So he's all, he's taken like the mathematics behind it and then applied the, the physical strength and attributes required to make it work so effectively. And I've been, I mean, I've t- talked about needing to roll back equipment for years, uh, probably 15 years at this point. And we talked about it earlier this year and some last year. And then this guy comes along. Well, you can't, roll back fitness you can't roll back physical brute strength 
you just can't do that. So even if you rolled back the equipment, he'd still be longer than everybody. Now there'd be more consequences for what he's trying to do, but I think he realized I can dial in equipment to do exactly what I wanted to do to optimize for PGA tour golf. And he's doing it. And I, whether you like Bryson personally or not, you have to respect that he found a plan that works for him to play the, to do his livelihood. Mm-hmm. And I, I just don't see a scenario right now where he's not top three in the world by September. I mean, sooner, I don't know. Uh, and there's a, a very realistic possibility. He could be the number one player in the world by the fall. It, it, I, you have to take your hat off to that. It's like eat more, gain weight, get better at your job and make more money. It's everyone's dream scenario. <laughs> right. Just go to the buffet and cash in. What a, what a wonderful job. I know. And then the announcement that we were all expecting that the Ryder Cup has been postponed. It's been pushed back a year. And as a result, the President's Cup has been pushed back a year as well. Right decision to make? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I, I really thought that when the PGA of America put out a revised criteria for making the team this year that they, that was their signal. They had every intention of having this thing because why would you change the points criteria all of a sudden if you weren't going to have it? And I, I, that give, and based on some conversations I've had, it seems like this was kind of a fluid situation all along that they really wanted to find a way to do this this year. But with the situation being what it is with the pandemic, with the player response, um, it just wasn't going to be plausible because you weren't going to have fans and the players weren't going to be as interested. And maybe you had some of them walk away and say, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this for no fans. So then what were you left? Uh, probably something that's a shell of what the Ryder cup is. So it's better to move it, have it for what it really is. Get back on odd number of years uh, like it was before nine 11, get the president's cup back to even numbered years. The, the president's cup isn't as big of a deal for the PGA tour. I mean, it's a big deal, but not as big of a deal. So they can oblige and push things back. And I guess the big question mark for me is how does this affect the European tours bottom line? Because they make a lot of money off of the Ryder cup. I mean, it basically bankrolls them for two years when they have it. So them not having it until 2023 in Italy, what will that mean for them? What will that mean for their tour? Uh, and how will they handle that? I, I guess is the big question. I think the PGA of America will be just fine, but I, I worry about the European tour uh, and the the brunt that it will take from this. Yeah, I agree. All right, Ryan. Well, thank you so much. Always great to catch up and get your take on everything that's going on in the world of golf. And well, the machine keeps rolling on, <laughs> and we'll have more to talk about next week. And we've got such a jam packed schedule for the next twelve to eighteen months. It's it's just not going to stop, but it's going to be kind of awesome. Yeah, Ryan's right. We do have so much golf to look forward to. Playoffs and then multiple majors coming up at the end of the year. It's crazy to think we're going to have Masters in November and then again in April. It's, uh, well, I mean, how good is that? So this week in the Workday Charity Open, we've got 10 of the team playing. Bronson Burgoon, Jason Duffner, who won well, the Memorial Tournament in 2017, but... 
obviously good vibes around this course for him. Patton Kazire, Russell Knox, Jason Kokrak, Andrew Landry, Mark Leishman, Ryan Palmer, Pat Perez and Chris Stroud will be following along with them on all of our Secret Golf social media. So tune in there. And thanks for listening to the podcast. Another one coming next week as always. And if you haven't subscribed already, it would be great if you could do that and give it a little like and review. We're on the Apple Podcasts and all other apps and websites that you get yours from. Thank you for listening and uh, see you next week. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.